So in this process, I remember um, learning to ask for forgiveness of my children at a very early age. And I remember one of the first times I did that, and specifically with me, Anne, she was probably not even, she was close to three maybe. Mm. Yeah. So I went to her and I said, you know, man, I, I need to come to you and I need to ask you for forgiveness and I need to explain what the forgiveness was for. And she looked at me and I remember her putting her hand, you know, on my hand and just saying, I forgive you, mommy. You're doing so much better. (laughs) I'm Dean Cullinane, and you're listening to Why They Did That, a show that explores the motivations of biblical characters and how their choices can guide yours. We all have people that we want to emulate. Someone in our life that has been so impressive, so Christ-like that we just want to be like them. Well, for pretty much everyone in my family, that person is today's guest. Melanie Keon. Melanie was born in Boston. She has both her bachelor's and her master's in nursing. And today she lives in California with her husband, Mike, and two children, Mark and Mayanne, both of whom have actually featured um, previously on this podcast. Mark presented about Jacob, if you remember in the last season, and Mayanne helped us out with doing the advertisement for Weimar Academy. And since moving to California, many of my favorite experiences have come from being at their house. She especially has been such a blessing to my family and I. And as the wise man once said, she opens her mouth with wisdom and in her tongue is the law of kindness. She looks well to the ways of her household and eats not the bread of idleness. Her children arise up and call her blessed and her husband also and he praises her. Now, if you follow us on social media, you know that we frequently ask for your opinions, and whenever we've asked what Bible character we should do next, right at the top of that list is Esther. After the Medo-Persian kingdom conquers Babylon, the Hebrew captives are given the opportunity to return to Jerusalem to rebuild their pillaged home, but the great majority choose to remain behind. God, through the prophet Zechariah, was urging the people to return to their own land. The the Medo-Persian kingdom was changing rapidly, and King Darius, the monarch who had shown so much favor to the Jews, was succeeded by Xerxes the Great. Very soon, the Jews that neglected to heed the call of God to leave were brought face to face with death itself. The devil used Haman the Agagite as his instrument to bring the Jews into disrepute with the king for the sole reason that a Jewish man by the name of Mordecai refused to show him worshipful reverence. God's people looked doomed, but he always has a way of escape. Enter young Esther, a young relative of Mordecai, and with her parents seemingly out of the picture, the burden to raise her lay on him. Little did he know that he was training up a queen. That's such an impressionable time, especially when there was this loss of her parents. And so emotionally, there is this um, void. Mm-hmm. And so he is wanting to fill that void and and raise her in a way that identifies who he is and who her parents were. Right. And you see that in the, in the chapters that follow, mm-hmm. um, why this is so critical. So they're, they're cousins, really. But Mordecai has taken up this parental role. He's right. taken the place of her mom and dad, who's you know likely been been killed or something. They're right. dead, but they, she's likely lost them because they've been killed. Given the climate of you know Babylon and Middle Persia and all that's going right. on here, um, and so when we read a little bit further, we get a little indication as to how this relationship works and how it progresses. In verse 11, it says, And Mordecai walked every day before the court of the woman's house, 
to know how Esther did and what should become of her. Yes, and can we just back up? Yeah, let's let's go, let's go to to um, verse ten uh-huh. because here's a situation where he instructs her. Esther had not showed her people nor her kindred. She not to share who she was mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and her or what her her heritage was. For Mordecai had charged her that she should not show it. Mm-hmm. Okay, so her objective was just really to be beautiful. And it says in chapter in, in chapter two, verse nine. Um, that she obtained kindness of him and specifically gave her things for purification. This is when she became favored. Mm-hmm, and so mm-hmm. there was reason beyond just the beauty. So she right. had character traits that was also pleasing mm-hmm. because she became favored. And we see here that that relationship of obedience uh-huh. between now this father-daughter right. relationship comes into play. Now you're in there and you have made it to the finals, <laughs> if you want to call it that. And now you're even finding favor within the finalists. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So now don't say anything. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, because right now the, the, the objective is for you to continue just being both beautiful on the outside and the inside because it's demonstrated demonstrated here that she has found favor both outside and inside esther is doing what she needs to do for god's plan to come to fruition but there is work for mordecai also in verse 11 we're told that mordecai as a father figure now walks every day by the court of the women's house to know what esther did and what should become of her. So one, it's a a daily relationship, Mm -hmm. which as parents, that's a relationship we have with our children. You know, it's a commitment and you, he wants to be there to see how she's doing, Uh but also what should become of her? What is happening to her while she's, Inside she's not really place. in his care anymore. No. She's kind of, she spread her wings a little bit. Right. You know? But he didn't leave the scene uh-huh. just because she made it to the finals and she's in there and she's um, actually found favor. He still is watching over her. Uh-huh. And you see that specifically in that particular text. And it's this idea of daily walking to see how she's doing right and that that statement he wants to see what will what will become of her right um it reminds me of what it says in deuteronomy chapter six um which is i mean there's a, a passage in here that you could say you know this is this is god's guidance to parents essentially um it says uh, hero israel the lord our god is one lord and thou shalt love the lord thy god with all thy heart all thy soul all thy might we know these verses and these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart, and thou shalt teach them diligently unto their children, unto thy children. And then it explains, and thou shalt talk of them when thou sittest in the house, when thou right. walkest by the way, when thou liest down, and when thou risest up, and when thou shalt bind them as a sign upon thy hand and upon the frontlets of their eyes. So it's essentially saying, when you are, you know, to have this relationship mm-hmm. with with your children, if you want to see them prosper, if you want to see them grow strong in the Lord, right. this is this is not you know a, a one off class. Right. This is something that you're going to have to implement, not just every day, mm. but almost at every portion of the day. Right. It's a vigilance. Yeah. It's a vigilance that takes place throughout the day and daily. Uh-huh. And he understood that. And he implemented that even when it was not within his physical proximity, he got as close as he can get. Mm -hmm. And it's, you know, he says that he is walking every day before the court of the women's house, which is where she is housed. Mm -hmm. And he is there every day to just show and see how she's doing. And so again, this fatherly role he plays, he continues. Now, what, what might this look like, practically speaking? Because some might read this and think, well, he's he doesn't trust her. Right. He's you know he's constantly looking to make sure that she's not, you know, up to no good or she's not leaving behind all that he's taught her. So what what might this actually look like? I think one, obviously, he's not in the women's house. Right. He's on the outside, so um, he is there really just to, you know, see if she has any concerns. That's mm-hmm. how I see it. You know, mm-hmm. like I'm here. Yeah. 
I'm close here for you. you. I'm close. Me. If you need me, I'm right here. Um, I, I can't be in there with you. I can't physically be there to help and guide mm. you. But if you need me, I'm not far. Mm. So that's how I interpret how he's there seeing how she's doing. It's like, I'm here for you. Mm-hmm. If you still need me, if you have a question, if there's concerns, I'm here. Mm. And at the same time, his objective is to see how is she becoming because they have her on this beautification schedule for a year. Right. And that's quite I don't know, self-indulgent. <laughs> yeah, I mean, let's talk about this for a second. She's essentially told she's going to have a year right. to prepare for her, you know, appearance before the king. Right. I don't know. I mean, I'm I'm married, you know, my wife has certain beautification processes as right. all as all women do. Um, but a year. It's a year not is a com- long time. Yes, it's hard to <laughs> comprehend what that entails and that commitment and what that would do when that is your main objective. Mm-hmm. It, it's all protocol. I think she sees it. This is just protocol. Mm-hmm. This is part of what needs to be done for someone who's going to be presented yeah. to the king. I don't think she partakes of it in a way that it, she internalizes it mm-hmm. because a process like this could very easily, even after one day, Right. Of just beautification, <laughs> that you become very self-absorbed and uh-huh. very um, self-indulgent, mm-hmm. because that's what it's all about. Right. When it's just you know you're you're trying to beautify yourself, mm-hmm. that's the focus. But you see that you see no hint mm-hmm. of that affecting her. Mm-hmm. And I think I have to say that probably as a father, when it says you know what should become of her, I, I'm sure he's kind of aware that that could be. Yeah. Something sure. that could happen. She's going to be the queen. Right. And so he wants to just kind of be there and mm-hmm. just kind of see what's happening. And so that's his role. Mm-hmm. And what what parent wouldn't be doing that? Right. Especially if you know that they're in an environment in which they're vulnerable. Mm-hmm. I mean, he knows that. She is not in his care. He She is in a environment that is not of her culture and her beliefs. Mm-hmm. They have completely different standards. And so I'm sure he's concerned about what parent wouldn't be. Right. And I think it's also a good opportunity for him to see if it's working. Right. Because it's right. like, now I'm not by your side. Right. Let's see if if you've actually been taking this in or whether you've right. just been going through the motions. Exactly. And so I think his presence of being available mm-hmm. is his way of communicating. Mm-hmm. I'm still here and this is where your roots are. Mm-hmm. And he's a symbol of that. So we see this relationship progress. And, and we're, we're purposefully here focusing on this relationship between the two instead of right. everything that's happening around them. Um, and then we get to verse 20 and we see another aspect of this relationship, if you will, where the Bible says that Esther had not yet showed her kindred nor her people as Mordecai had told her, for Esther did the commandment of Mordecai like as when she was brought up with him. And the key concept here is for Esther did the commandment of Mordecai mm. like as when she was brought up with him. So when she was young mm-hmm. and when she was with him being raised, right. she would, she, she already did this as a child. Mm-hmm. She's going to continue to do this because she was raised to do that. Uh-huh. And that's what you really see here is this, uh, this idea of obeying from childhood. Right. You know, um, earlier earlier today, I was I was at the mall, and the mall's I think a great place to go to yeah. just watch, right? You know, to just kind of see how people react when they're not really aware of everything else that's going around them. That's not why I was there. Um, I was going to buy my my uh, my sister in law birthday present, but whilst I was there, there was just this. I had this most scariest experiences. Now I'm not a parent. And I'm grateful right now for that. Um, but sometimes, as much as I get encouraged by seeing it done right, I get really scared when I see it done in certain ways. Mm. I was getting out of the car and there was, actually this was on the way to Walmart, I was getting out of the car and this mother was standing outside the car and she was speaking into the car, saying, come out. And you could just hear this voice saying, no. And mother's like, come out of the car we're going into Walmart and he was like why what are we getting and she was like if you come out of the car I'll tell you and he said tell me now and then I'll get out of the car and I was I was walking past and 
I kind of just stopped like, and then carried on, but could hear everything in earshot. Right, right. And I was just like, I can't do this. <laughs> you know, I was like, I don't, I don't want to have those, those, those shopping mall experiences, right. you know, those parking lot experiences where, you know, it's all kicking off and, right. and they're in, and they're actively disobeying in front of everyone. There's that embarrassment and, and it seems to be, it seems to me in this story that Esther wasn't that child. She, she listened, she obeyed, she did as she was told. And I mean, okay, essentially this is an oversimplification, but you know, they do live happily ever after. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. How, how do you, how would you, you're a parent. How do you get to this point? Not that you've made it, but how, the Bible says train up a child. Mm-hmm. But what does that look like practically though? How do you get a child to the point of willing obedience? So one of the interesting facts about the book of Esther is that there is no mention uh-huh. of God or the right. Lord. And really what we see here is the picture of God to Esther mm. has to be her her father figure, which is Mordecai. Mm. And so that's where we have to begin as parents. We have to be the representation to our children who God is, mm. because that's all, all they know is who's loving and caring for them as an infant. That's, that's where they get their first definition of love. Mm. That's where they, they understand what love looks like. And so we represent who God is at those very early age until you can teach them, until mm. they can learn, until they can seek, until they actually decide that's this is my God. This mm. is my relationship with him. Now I see him. Until then, it's us. <laughs> Great. <laughs> that's, that's a very high calling. And um, and I think that's partly what Esther is about, mm-hmm. is Mordecai is that picture. Mm-hmm. And um, how does that look every day? Well, it first begins with he clearly was obedient to God's mm-hmm. laws. And that's why we see the drama, the drama that surrounds this whole um, scene of Esther is the idea of he's going to be obedient to the laws that God has given to him. Mm. And it's because of that, that brings out this controversy. And so we have to be obedient. Mm. If we're not obedient to what God is asking us to do, can we expect our children to be obedient to us? So that's where it first has to begin. And I believe that Mordecai did that. Mordecai was exemplary in that. So then Esther knew how to obey because she watched Mordecai be obedient as a Jew in a foreign land where there's obviously contrast against that, yet he was obedient. And so then she saw that, and so she understood that's what she needed to be doing. And I'm sure he trained her, he nurtured her, Mm -hmm. he taught her, he instructed her, he communicated, he listened, and they worked together at this. So... As the parent, you are God to your child until they can choose God themselves. How did you deal with that? <laughs> like, like, because um, there must have been a point when you came to right. that realization. Yeah. So, I mean. When I came to that realization, <laughs> I was already pregnant. And I was terrified because <laughs> we were searching. Right. We were, we wanted to be good parents. So we were reading more during that time. I I wish I had read more before that time, but I was reading and I was reading. I just realized I can't do this. Mm -hmm. This is impossible. And so obviously, you know, we can't. The Lord is what he he is the one who teaches us how to be parents. Mm -hmm. And he teaches that by asking us to be obedient to him. Mm -hmm. So that's where the journey begins. How does that look like when they finally are there in your home, right. <laughs> playing in your house. <laughs> um, then that's where some of the, a lot of practical things come in mm-hmm. where there are things like Mordecai's doing. There are routines. There are daily things that you do to communicate and instruct and to listen. And so that's what Mordecai did. And that's what we need to do as parents is to instruct. And it's instructing when you're sitting, when you're standing, when you're walking, mm-hmm. it's throughout the day and it's every day. 
So a couple of things that when it comes to instruction specifically is that I found very helpful mm -hmm. is when you're giving instruction, you want to give instruction during non-conflict time. So <laughs> okay. your situation where they're in the car uh -huh. at Walmart and there's a conflict already uh -huh. and they're trying to work this out is not the best time. time. <laughs> it's a conflict time right. because already you, 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 you already have antagonistic situation there. Mm. Okay. So the time to instruct would have been, we're going to Walmart and this is what we're going to do at Walmart. Even before you even go, mm. before you leave the house. Groundbreaking we're, stuff. <laughs> yes, we're going to go to Walmart and there's going to be a couple of things we need to get done together. And we are going to um, do this and this and this. And, you know, what do you think? And how are we going to do, you know, you're going to go through this, especially if you already know there could be conflict. Right. So you work on these things and instructions when it's non-conflict time. Mm. So that's really important to try to do it during conflict time um, is almost impossible. Mm. I mean, that's what we have found, yeah. you know, emotionally you're not in a good place uh -huh. and you're going to say things and do things that will only agitate the situation. So that's one practical thing when it comes to parenting, when it gives, when you're giving instruction and you'll see here in, in the book of Esther, he's giving instruction and he's explaining why. And that's another part of instruction mm -hmm. is during non-conflict time and explaining why, mm -hmm. what we're doing, why we're doing it. And the best explanations would be things that are biblical, right? you know, which I believe Mordecai did because mm -hmm. she understood what the higher calling was because obviously it didn't have to do with about herself and what she wanted. It's about what the Lord wanted. Even though we don't see mention of that, you know, she had the higher purpose and it was for the people. It was for her people. Mm -hmm. And that's what you saw. So he explained that and put placed that value in her heart so that she herself could make decisions based on that. So giving instructions as a parent during non-conflict time mm -hmm. and giving the reason why. Mm -hmm. And those reasons why need to be um, biblical reasons and they need to be um, the big picture as to why we're doing it. Not because mommy said it. Now, there are times where it is, yes, there are times where it's like mommy said it, uh -huh. daddy said it, this is what you need to do. Right. And some things are safety. But when it comes to long-lasting obedience, you really want them to understand the biblical reason why mm. you're doing it because then they can use those principles in choices that they will have throughout their life. Asking someone to train up a queen is no mean feat, but it's the task given to every parent. We must take the time necessary to make sure that the children that God has borrowed us are ones that are fit to receive the crown of life that Jesus has for them in heaven. Mordecai took the time necessary to instill those values in young Esther, to win her heart from an early age so that her picture of a loving God wouldn't be fighting against a picture of an unloving home. When we return, we'll look at just how God plans to deliver the Hebrews and how this parent-child connection is vital to the plot. I'm Dean Cullinane, and you're listening to Why They Did That. They say you shouldn't judge a book by its cover, but with the conflict beautiful, you can do just that. Judge it. Judge it all day long, because the beauty that you find on the cover is right up to par with what you'll find on the inside. There's just something special about sitting down on a quiet evening in, maybe even by the fireplace with a book that feels and reads this good. There's no conflict here. It's just beautiful, inside and out. To get a copy, visit theconflictbeautiful.com and use the promo code WTDT for 10% off. For young people, the question always comes, what will I do next? Well, here's an idea, core. CORE is a discipleship and evangelism program located in Pennsylvania that runs for nine months. And in that short space of time, you'll learn everything you need to know to become an effective soul winner, as well as having the tools to ensure that your walk with God remains grounded and rooted in Christ. 
They'll teach you how to do and give Bible studies, all about literature evangelism, mental health and health evangelism, how to use digital media to further God's work, and even take you on an overseas mission program to help you practice what you preach. For more information, visit paconference.org forward slash core. Esther has won the king's favor, and she's now in a position of influence whereby God can use her to actually save her people from utter annihilation. Mordecai, he finds out about a possible assassination on the king's life, but it wasn't a mere coincidence that this plan befell his ears. He finds out at the king's gate. He's still there, daily, within close proximity to his little one. As a consequence of taking his parental role seriously, he is now in a position where he can help Esther to save her husband's life. In order to do that though, this impressionable young lady is going to have to step up. Her desire to serve her God will be put to the greatest test. And the things that she's been taught as a child will finally have to bear fruit. Just recently, my daughter got her permit. Oh. Yes. Oh, okay. <laughs> she got her permit. She took her test, and on the same day, she took a lesson, and that night, she goes, I want to drive with you. I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> and so why, why are we doing this? Why mm. is it mandated by law that we're with them? Because we're there to continue to instruct, to be there, to be the eyes, to see that, you know what, that's kind of dangerous to be that close or you need to go a little slower. Did you notice the signs? Mm. You're, you're there to protect yeah. them and others. And so really that's what, you know, Mordecai here is doing is in the process of doing this, he, he was able to mm. identify a danger. And I think a lot, a lot of parents have this down pretty well. Yeah. Because, you know, <laughs> growing up, I always felt that, that they were, and I wasn't especially religious growing up, but even after I'd become a Christian, I was like, there must be a certain class or group of angels whose sole purpose is to communicate with parents. Like they just see what's happening and they just go and tell the parents because right. parents just seem to know everything. But really it's not, it's not a group of angels. It's, it's the parent themselves with those kind of hawk eyes, just making right. sure that they know right. what's taking place. Right. And what drives them is mm. really love. Yeah. Uh, is that unconditional love they have for their child. And so they want to protect them. And that's what happens here. And, and the next thing Mordecai does is he communicates it. Yeah. You know, he just, he tells her and warns her of this plot mm -hmm. so that she's aware of it. And at that point, she then relays it and then it gets documented. And then that, of course, is the segue to later on in the story, how that comes to help right. really where how the story ends. But it's a critical element, but it was based on Mordecai's fatherly love, being close, being nearby. He hears this, but not only does he hear it, he makes sure that it's communicated right mm -hmm. away and communicated properly. So then it gets documented properly. Right. And there's no questioning. You see, like when when he, when he tells her, "This is what I've right. heard," she doesn't question whether he heard Correct. it correctly. Correct. She, you know, there's no real interrogation. She's like, "Okay, right. I've heard what this man, my my father, essentially has mm -hmm. told me. Mm -hmm. I'm taking that as gospel truth." Right. So it's clear that they have this relationship where there's trust, where there's right. solid communication. Right. And I think this really is, if you're a parent, this is one of those things that you you want. Like, how can you really foster good communication between parent and child? Which is very hard in today's world. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, communication, first of all, needs to begin with, we'll go back to that same concept of what this book is about, where we don't actually see um, the presence of the Lord necessarily mm -hmm. in, in a tangible way. We're not, he's not spoken of here, yeah. but that's where the parent is. Um, he is in place of who God is to this child, mm -hmm. Esther. And so it's the same thing as a parent and our communication and prayer life. 
um, what elements are important in that is mm. the idea of, you know, um, being praiseworthy, being thankful. You have request and there's times of forgiveness. All those types of elements of communication also needs to take place, you know, with your child. And um, when they're younger, it's a lot of instruction, mm. but we communicate with all our senses. You know, when they were little, when they were, they don't understand our verbal um, communication, it's our touch, mm -hmm. you know, and the, the closeness, the bond that occurs mm -hmm. during that time and then continues on with added senses, you know, and you just keep going. And I think we lose that in today's with the technology, mm, yeah. you know, you, there is no, there are no natural senses of any kind that's communicated through telephone, except for the auditory. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So it, you're, you're very much getting um, shortchanged on that. So communication with your children as a parent needs to have all the senses as part of It's funny you bring that up because like I was saying today, I was at the mall and, um, and you know, you know, you know, the mall there as well. Um, says they have this kind of contraption where there's a, a, kind of like a trampoline and there's strings. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, yeah. the children, they bounce and they're able to go up really high right. and spin. And I was walking past that area and there was this little girl, you know, she was maybe five or six, long blonde hair. She was just bouncing up and twisting and having the time of her life. Mm -hmm. and I was like, oh, that's really nice. And then the mom was there right beside her, obviously outside the little facility, but she was just on Instagram just kind of scrolling mm. through and I was looking at the child and when she would be up, she would just be, you know, smiling and she would come down and she'd be like, mommy, look, mommy, mm -hmm. look. And then mommy would, you know, just scrolling, didn't even take her eyes off the phone, just went like, yeah, darling, that's, that's really good. And then, she, you know, she went back up and she spun around and it hit me today that, you know, I've, when I, when I've, when I've thought about how, you know, um, just society in general, but especially how technology has affected the parent-child relationship. Mm. I've often looked at it as how technology has changed the child um, and, and altered their ability to communicate effectively mm -hmm. with the parent. But today it hit me that technology is also altering the way that parents communicate with the children. Right, right. You'd never have seen something like this, you know, 15 or 20 years ago. You know, right. you carry a TV to the mall and, right. and watch it as they're bouncing around. There's, there's a clear barrier now. Right. And it's kind of scary because if you grow up without that communication, mm -hmm. when you're in the difficult situations like Esther and, right. and Mordecai are about to be in, it's going to fall apart. Right. And that idea of communication, there's loss of purposefulness and intention. Mm. Because as that girl this example that you saw she's jumping up now she's sharing joy yeah okay yeah. she's she's sharing her Can't excitement she is mm -hmm. sharing joy but she is no longer um bonding or relating to a parent who's just watching but clearly distracted mm -hmm. and so now they don't have they shared the experience because they were both there right but they did not connect on that experience mm -hmm. and and the little one is going to know because she has no one to share all this excitement with because the expression on her face doesn't match, mm. you know, her expressions. And then there is no purposefulness in that experience anymore. Mm. And unless we have a purpose to why we're communicating, why we have shared experiences is really to understand their heart, to connect with them. And that's part of why parents and children need to have meaningful communication mm -hmm. and why media technology has gotten and interfered mm -hmm. with that process. So then it's more of a functional communication. Mm -hmm. It's not the communication of actually peeking into one's heart because that's really where you want to go as a parent. You want to get into the heart mm -hmm. and the, and they want to see your heart. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that's it's true. an exchange and you, you're not getting that anymore. And one, because these, there's no purpose or two, there's a distraction. So I, I like this, this idea um, of modeling the relationship and the communication that you have with your children yeah. based on the relationship and the communication that you have with God. Right. You know, I think if, that, if that's implemented in the home, that's powerful. That's going to be really powerful. One of the things I learned early on when I was parenting is that I'm not going to be a perfect parent. I'm going to mm. make mistakes. Yeah. 
So in this process, I remember um, learning to ask for forgiveness of my children at a very early age. And I remember one of the first times I did that, and specifically with me, Anne, I remember um, I was not calm. I was not speaking kindly, mm. and I knew it, and I felt convicted of it. And I remember going to her and saying, you know, and it was awkward because, you know, as a parent, right. you know, you're supposed right. to know everything. You're supposed to do everything right. Mm -hmm. But as the example is in the Bible with prayer and communication, I needed to ask for forgiveness. Mm -hmm. And so, How old was she at this time? Oh, she was probably not even, she was close to three maybe. Mm. Yeah. So I went to her and I said, you know, man, I, I need to come to you and I need to ask you for forgiveness and I need to explain what the forgiveness was for. And she looked at me and I remember her putting her hand you know, on my hand and just saying, I forgive you, mommy, you're doing so much better. <laughs> <laughs> so I obviously didn't hide anything from her. <laughs> right. She knew where I had erred. Uh, and so, and she could, she was actually grading me wow. <laughs> at that point. Wow. But from that point on, mm. because I had modeled asking forgiveness of her as a teenager, she has been able to come to me and ask me for forgiveness. Oh. And I think that, again, that modeling of that, and that's part, again, of communication. What are we communicating? How are we communicating? And it should be modeled after, really, how we communicate to the Lord. Our children need to be able to see that our walk with the Lord is genuine. Otherwise, how on earth will theirs be? We're meant to be demonstrating to them what it's like to be a believer how to follow our Creator, and how to model that to others. Too often our young people only see that when we go to church. They see Superman on the pulpit, but Clark Kent at home. We need to strive for consistency if they're ever going to have it. You see, Esther doesn't question Mordecai. She immediately obeys him. She knows she can trust him. When she sees how distressed he is, that he's, he's torn his clothes in grief, he feels like it's all fallen apart and his heart is going out for his people. She, she sends him new clothes. She acts. She shows him that she cares. If anything is going to get them through this, it's the bond that they've built up over the years. And so he reminds her in the 13th verse of chapter 4, we're doing this for the Lord. Whatever the consequence, even if it costs us our lives, Esther, think not of thyself. How many times do we tell our children, don't be selfish, don't be um, thinking about just yourself? Yeah. That's what he's saying to her. Uh -huh. You know, don't be selfish. Think not of yourself. Because you will not escape this. The king's house is not going to protect you either. And so all of this instruction is, un and, and there's explanation why again, why you need to right. do this. But even though he's giving her commands, we later see that she's able to do the same. Right. Because she then says she's going to obey. There's obedience there. She decides that, you know, she's going to obey and there's continued communication. So then she says, go. Again, there's a lot of action. When it comes to parenting, it's just not about what, you, what you're saying. It's about what you're doing because children actually follow what you do versus mm -hmm. what you say. Right. So here you see in this situation, the relationship, the fruits of the relationship is there's all this communication, but there's action behind it. Mm -hmm. So she then turns around and says, you go mm -hmm. and you tell the people of Shushan that you need to fast for the next three days and I will do the same. So it wasn't even the idea that you go do it and I'm mm -hmm. just going to be here being queen. But it is the child <laughs> telling the parent what to do now. It is. It is. So now the roles have reversed uh -huh. here in terms of instruction, but their purpose is still the same. Mm -hmm. Their motivations are still pure. They're, and, and she, you know, in her asking him to do this, is not without risk to her. Yeah, no, for sure. So she asks that they do this together. Mm. That's the idea. Right. So it's not like you do this. Uh -huh. It's we will do this. Let's go and do it. So they do to the point where she's going to be obedient to his instruction that if I perish, okay. I perish. And I think that speaks a lot to just how 
good of a job Mordecai has done. Yes. You know, yes. that she is now willing to embrace these principles mm -hmm. that she's learned growing up with him right. around her, even if it costs her her life. Mm -hmm. And I think what we see here really is every parent's dream that they would be able to teach their child and the child would mm -hmm. grow up with that and say, actually, my desire, like if, if I can choose what I get to do, mm -hmm. I want to work with you in ministry. Right. Because essentially, that's what that's that's what this is. This is Esther and Mordecai now working right. together to save God's people. Right. And like when I think of m what my desire would be if I have if I have children, I want to see my children in ministry, right. not necessarily pastors and and all of it, but mm. children whose hearts are devoted to serving the Lord. Right. To taking those principles that I'm going to try and teach them from from birth upwards, mm -hmm. but to take it as their own now. It's right. Like, let's. Let's do this together. I choose right. you to to work with. Out of everyone, right. I want to work with my parents. I want right. to, that family unit. And it's an act of selflessness. Mm. I mean, that's really what this is, is they're not going to be thinking about themselves. Right. It's about others and the fact that they're willing to sacrifice that ministry mm -hmm. even until death. I mean, they're committed. Yeah. And they're committed together because what parent is going to want their child also to put themselves in harm's way? Mm -hmm, because mm -hmm. he also could be like, well, if you're not allowed to go in there and you might be killed for doing that, maybe we should think of something else. Mm. But no, she's committed. <laughs> she's committed and he's committed to take that risk with her, mm -hmm. you know, and he loves her as a mm. parent. So that was not an easy decision for them to make, but you don't really even see that there is a question here. Yeah, yeah. They're going to go. Esther and Mordecai give us all a picture of what it means to put God first, to put His will above our own desires, to be willing to let go of our dreams so that He can use us for His glory. It's not the ideal family relationship. Medo-Persia isn't the ideal locale, and the circumstances in which the pair find themselves certainly aren't desirable. But sometimes God just has to use what He's got. And he uses these two. They work together, they trust each other, and they lean on each other when times get real tough. And this can be our story too. Parents, God can use you to train up queens and kings. And young people, oftentimes it's the care and the concern of our parents that's going to keep us right where God needs us. God may not be mentioned in this book, but the fatherly role of Mordecai gives us a picture of someone who is willing to step in, take up that parental role, and show us what the love of God is really like. A father to the fatherless. So I remember as a child um, listening to this story on a record player, mm. the story of Esther. Wow. Yeah. I remember it clearly Sabbath afternoons, um, taking the record player and just cueing it right to this story and mm. just enjoying hearing this story. And one of the things that I related to in this story was the idea of here's this father, mm. Mordecai, and this daughter, with, with, but they're not actually father and daughter, but they've taken on this role mm -hmm. of raising um, this daughter as his own. And so um, I came from a broken home, and so it was my father that I lived with, right. and um, he raised me. Mm -hmm. So actually, I was um, in fifth grade at the time. Um, when your parents separated? When my parents separated. And um, it was, I remember when I had heard other um kids in school that their parents were divorced or separated by and large most of them were with their mother mm, yeah, so yeah. I felt very you know kind of feeling a little bit odd that wow I'm with, I'm with my dad mm. and um, you know this story in terms of here is Mordecai raising a daughter I felt well I'm not that odd because mm. this did happen right, in the yeah, Bible yeah. That's nice. um, and I was not at all like Esther right. <laughs> in just wanting to be obedient. There's a lot of ways I was obedient, but there was probably more emotional um, disobedience or rebellion that I had more towards my dad, not necessarily what he was trying to teach me. Because the things that he was trying to teach me 
were wonderful things. Mm -hmm. Um, He had changed his diet. He was waking me up on Sunday mornings, even though every other kid was sleeping in, to go for walks Mm. in the canyon and on the streets early in the morning. So why do you think you had that that maybe rebellious disposition towards him? It it seemed like it was just a lot of do's and don'ts. Mm. I did not get the answer why. Right. Like, I still remember as a child him explaining to me about taking a shower and ending with cold mm. and asking me, so did you end with cold? And then I was like, and, and I did do it, mm-hmm. but I somewhat kind of thought like, why am I doing this? Right. And it wasn't until I got to college and I took a class um, from Dr. Thomas, who did a lot of the hydrotherapy uh-huh. at Loma Linda, that, oh, that's why I did wow. that. I didn't understand why the contrast. Mm. Now, I did it because he he said it was a good thing mm-hmm. and but I didn't understand why and mm-hmm. actually that happened a lot in our home mm-hmm. you know he didn't it was more he's he he was in the coast guard for 20 years so he okay. was in the military so you don't really ask why mm-hmm. you do you just do <laughs> you just do it and um I fought that inside and I remember fighting that and that caused a lot of tension between us to the point where, you know, I did leave home and Mm. went to go live with my mom. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we, we, we had an amicable enough relationship that yes, we were still father daughter, but it wasn't that closeness that I would see other children have with their Mm -hmm. parents. And I had it more with my mom, but not with my dad. And so I knew there was a difference and without recognizing it back then, I realized I longed for that. So as I began my own journey and having children, I realized very quickly that I didn't know everything and I was making mistakes as a parent. And I was convicted that my dad only knew what he knew at that time to do. Mm. He didn't understand maybe how to explain the whys. He was struggling as a single parent as mm-hmm. well, because yeah. that's yeah. how many people could he go to right. as a single parent raising both my brother dad. and I. Yeah, as a dad specifically mm-hmm. raising my brother and I. So um, once I came to that um, conviction, I was very humbled and the Lord really touched my heart to seek forgiveness mm-hmm. of how I treated him as a child and how I sort of rebelled. And I pleaded that I would have a chance to be able to honor my father. And um, that was, um, I mean, Mark and Ann were, we were living, actually, it all just kind of worked out. We were actually living in his home when they were like, a man would have been like just turning two and Mark was about five and we were all in the home. And the very things that I rebelled against, I saw my kids doing like, he would want to take them for walks. Mm-hmm. And the first time he took them for a walk, he took them for like a three-hour walk. And they came home <laughs> and they did not ever want to go for a right. walk again. And again, he didn't explain and he didn't kind of slowly guide them into uh-huh. this. It was just like, this is a good thing and we're going to do it. Right. And that was just kind of how it was with my dad. And I had to explain to him, take them for a walk, but take them for like a 10-minute walk, then a 20-minute walk, right. then a 30-minute. Build, build them up to this and bring them some water. And bring your cell phone because one time Mark told me that they went for such a long walk that they got lost and they had to hitchhike back. Wow. And he's five. (laughs) So those are the kinds of things that I saw as I saw him parenting, kind of being a grandparent to my kids. I realized why there was this struggle. And so as we were amending our relationship and I was understanding everything he wanted to do was all good. Mm -hmm. But how to do it and um, the way he did it and how he explained things or lack of explaining things was really the issue. Mm-hmm. So as time progressed and we, I continued to pray and plead, I still remember that night where I just asked for my dad's forgiveness and I says, we need to come to this understanding of why our relationship is the way it is because I didn't feel like he really loved me because I never met up to all these expectations I felt like he wanted me to to have and um, at that point it was him breaking down telling me how much he's always loved me Mm. and I think it was one of the first times I really felt like he actually expressed it and so 
all these things were his love language, but it wasn't the love language that necessarily touched my heart. And so I had to come to that understanding. And as we process this, I realized the Lord gave me an opportunity to be able to honor him as a father should be honored. Mm. And, um, and that happened through those early years. And then eventually I've had the opportunity where he's now been in my home yeah. since 2010. And uh, I'm just so thankful that I could honor him in how we care for him mm -hmm. and all the things that he taught me. When I think about Esther being obedient to the things that she was taught as a child, mm -hmm. like now it's like he doesn't want to go for a walk. <laughs> like, no, you're going for a walk because <laughs> this is good for you. And I remember one time we were just recently going for like, oh, Papa used to walk five miles a day. He's not anymore because <laughs> oh. I'm tired. I want to go. But it's like, you know, every day we go for our walks, mm -hmm. all the things. And I think that's what's obviously, you know, helping him with his recovery from, you know, his recent injury. But the Lord is good in um, allowing us the opportunity to have ways to reconcile and to restore and even though this wasn't necessarily a story that I um, actually related to in terms of Esther's obedience, I feel like I have an opportunity now to be able to be obedient and honor him as my father and on, honor him in how I'm raising my children. Very similar to how actually he is, you know, he was raising me. But now I feel like I have obviously more information on how to better do that. So when we go back here to... You know, Esther, that ministry that she had and they had together as a mm, family yeah. unit is a ministry that saved their entire culture. Mm. And as well as ministry, that family ministry is still celebrated today, Yeah, you know, by the Jewish community. Mm -hmm. And so our families and that idea of being together in ministry has a huge impact for not just now and not just for your family, but for large groups of people and for eternity. He that hath an ear, let him hear. And you've just heard our latest show. If you'd like to hear more, or harken back to a previous episode, you can find us at whythedidthat.org. Please also subscribe to our show at Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. You can follow us on your favorite social media accounts, Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at whythedidthat. We're on YouTube now as well, where you can actually watch this episode instead of just listening to it. So make sure you check that out. And this show was produced by the great and marvelous Christian Freed. Once again, I'm Dean Cullinane, and you're listening to Why They Did That.